Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, um, welcome to this NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Claire Jonas, and I'm a Research Communications Officer at Alzheimer's Society. Today, we'll be talking about the All-Party Parliamentary Group, or APPG, on dementia. I'm joined by three panellists who've all been involved in the APPG. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, Yeah, hi, I'm Jordan. I'm a Public Affairs Officer at Alzheimer's Society, so I lead on our political influence in work in the research portfolio. Hi, I'm Rich Oakley. I'm the Head of Research at the Alzheimer's Society. Hi, I'm Sarah Ryan. I'm an Alzheimer's Society-funded Research Fellow at the University of Manchester. Thanks, everyone. I know that some of our listeners aren't from the UK, so I want to give a bit of context for this before we start. An APPG is a group of members of parliament who are interested in a particular topic, and they could come from any political party. If there's a particular question within this topic that they're interested in, they can hold an inquiry to collect evidence, which is then brought together in a report. Earlier this year, the APPG on dementia held an inquiry on the state of dementia research in the UK, and today the report is being published. Jordan. You've been heavily involved in organising this APPG inquiry. Could you give us a general idea of what it is and how Alzheimer's Society has played a part? So as you said, there's lots of APPGs uh, and they could be on any sort of subject, going from American football all the way down to oral health. And we act as the secretariat for the APPG on dementia. So that means we do a lot of the behind the scenes work that could be preparing meetings or finding guest speakers uh, and writing reports such as the one that we're publishing today. Um, every uh, year and a half, every two years, uh, the APPG decides to hold an inquiry on a particular subject. So earlier this year at our AGM, where they elected uh, new officers, they put together a plan for the activity for the year. And we worked with the chairs to bring that plan together uh, and a sort of programme activity for the year. Um, I know both the chairs are really interested in dementia research and the government's commitment to double dementia research funding is something that's been close to their mind. Um, so they were really keen to, to, to do an inquiry into this topic. Thanks, Jordan. In the specific case of the APPG on dementia, what's been involved? Who's been involved? What have they been discussing? Yeah, so our, uh, our chairs of the APPG, uh, who are Debbie Abrahams, who's a Labour MP up in Oldham, and Sally Greengross, who's a crossbench member of the House of Lords, have really been leading on the, the work Uh, for us in the inquiry sessions. Uh, There's a few vice chairs that we have as well, which uh, get involved in our work, uh, but I'd say Debbie and Sally have really been leading on the the work that's been being done. Um, So as well as uh, taking written evidence from over 35 different uh, organisations and individuals, we also held a few oral evidence sessions. Uh, We held four over the summer. Uh, where we heard from experts on dementia, uh, you know, researchers, leading organisations, charities, and obviously importantly, people with lived experience of dementia. So the APPG has been held, uh, been going for over just over ten years now, um, and they've held inquiries on a number of different topics. Um, I mean, most recently we held one in 2019 on dementia and disability. Um, so this new one, looking at dementia research, we decided to hold four oral evidence sessions. Um, the first looked at the impact of the pandemic on dementia research and the government's commitment to double dementia research funding through what they call the dementia moonshot. Uh, one on the advances in diagnosis, care research and technology. 
one on the prevention on prevention research uh, and one as well on the future of dementia research in the UK and we particularly focused that on early career researchers um, and heard from from Sarah uh, in that session. Thanks there's a lot of stuff going on here and I think the first thing that people may not be familiar with is the dementia moonshot and we're going to be talking a lot about that today so Rich maybe you could tell us a bit more about what that is. Yeah absolutely so the, the current government made an election pledge to double dementia funding by 2030. So that's more about 80 million spent at the moment to 160 million spent per year. So um, I think we all know that dementia has been underfunded historically. Um, dementia research is, is the answer to a lot of the questions that we have in dementia and, and research will be dementia, but it has suffered from underfunding compared to other diseases. Um, and the, the size of the problem we have in dementia needs this moonshot. I mean, for example, there was a outside society in London School of Economics report from 2019 that said the cost of care uh, of dementia is £34.7 billion a year. And that is due to increase to £94 billion a year by, by 2040. And the only way to really tackle that is through research. So this commitment to double um, research spending on dementia is is really great to see and I guess we this report is talking about how we want to see that realized um, coming forward and it's not just about um, the research that we're or the money we gain from research there's also a lot of other um, positives that investment in research can give and um, the uh, study conducted by Oxford Economics in September 2020 showed that for one pound of public research spend in kind of stimulate really extra investment between almost about a pound of private uh, two pounds of private investment over the next 15 years so that's saying that the moonshot investment of 800 million um, which is what the government has pledged to do would actually leverage an additional 1.8 billion pounds of investment into uh, the economy which is really fantastic so this moonshot has so many benefits to it that um, and that's one of the reasons why we really want to see the government um, commit to it now so and that, in terms of what that moonshot is going to do I mean there, there's five real priorities as, as we see it um, for this moonshot to really take to. So one was to um, increase research to ensure the early and accurate diagnosis of dementia. We know that's a challenge. Um, it does take longer than we want to get a diagnosis currently, and that delays people getting access to the treatment and support that they, they need and they can get. We want to see a transformation of care through technology, and we want to see investment into that. Um, more, more money is going to the understanding of the underlying causes for finding a cure of dementia, and actually there's been some real great progress in that and in the UK Dementia Research Institute, uh, which launched a number of years ago now, that's really a kind of a leading centre to, to look into those understanding courses. And um, that is really great. And we want to see more, more work in that way. We want um, the Moonshot to really help fund more multidisciplinary research. The Outside Society has a centres of excellence model, which really brings people together across disciplines to really tackle a specific aspect of dementia. And that's that's really key and that's shown some really great success. We want to see more of that multidisciplinary research. And finally, as um, Jordan's already alluded to, we had a real focus on talking about training the kind of dementia research leaders of the future, which is absolutely vital if we want to see um, a really vibrant and really great dementia research landscape. Thanks, Rich. Uh, so that brings us really nicely to Sarah, who is an early career researcher. Uh, so. Would you like to tell us, Sarah, about where you are in your career and what you're working on? Yeah, um, so I work on a type of dementia called frontotemporal dementia, or FTD for short, which is relatively rare compared to Alzheimer's. I think that's what most people think of when they think of dementia, but there are other kinds as well, which are just as important to work on. And um, 
I work in a lab um, and I grow cells in a dish and use them to try and mimic what's going on inside the brain of someone with FTD. So we can try and understand um, what changes are happening in disease and what's, ca what's causing that. Um, basically, it's all with a view to um, being able to find new ways to intervene and new therapeutics to stop that process from happening. Um, and in terms of career stage, I'm what's called a junior research fellow um, funded by Alzheimer's Society. So I'm kind of at an in-between stage between being a postdoc in someone else's lab and trying to form my own. So I have three years of funding from Alzheimer's Society to fund independent projects. And my next stage of my career will be to um, apply for a senior research fellowship and try and establish my own group. Brilliant. OK, uh, so you gave evidence during the inquiry about your experience as an early career researcher. So how did that come about for you? I was actually invited by Alzheimer's Society um, to speak um, <laughs> uh, because obviously being funded by them, they knew that uh, the career stage I was at and that I have experience as an early career researcher. And I guess um, the evidence that I gave, I was speaking on behalf of myself, but also many, many, many chats with colleagues at similar career stages over the years and things that I've seen happen and then how the pandemic has affected not just me but my colleagues as well. I'm going to come back to Jordan now because I want to talk a little bit about the report that's being released. So uh, the report about the inquiry is coming out on September the 8th which is the same day this podcast is coming out. Um, Jordan you're the person who wrote most of this report could you tell us how you put it together? Sure. So as I uh, sort of alluded to earlier, we held a few oral evidence sessions, um, like the one that Sarah's just uh, spoken about there. And we also took written evidence as well. So we put together some some online forms where people could share their thoughts. And we tried to uh, get that out as far and as wide as possible using all our networks to as many researchers across the country. And we had responses from you know, uh, institutions and, and individuals from Glasgow all the way down to Plymouth so he's really happy with the sort of breadth of uh, evidence that we received and the different types of evidence we received as I said we also got evidence from uh, lots of people affected by dementia which was really important hearing their voice in this um, with any report that Alzheimer's Society is involved in we always want to make sure that we're including the voice of people with dementia and affected by dementia so that was a really important part um, of the work. Um, and then we held the oral evidence session. So that was that was those four that I mentioned earlier, where we heard from from Sarah, from uh, ex-England rugby star Ben Kay come along to speak about his work in the Prevent programme um, and to speak about sport and dementia. And then funders like Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Research UK. After those, um, just to take you behind the scenes, I suppose, a little bit after each of those oral evidence sessions, I had the arduous task of writing them up into sort of a bit like a policy document, somewhere in between a policy document and meeting minutes so that I could use them later on. And using those and a, a combination of the written evidence, we sort of saw, uh, started to form the, the shape of the report. But really helpfully, we had input from uh, other organisations and academics as, as the report went along so that, so that um, you know, we could put our suggested recommendations and, and points to them. Um, and then we're here today. Obviously, as well, we, you know, looked at other types of evidence like funding that's already out there and statistics that we know have been brought through in other reports, um, you know, looking at other organisations and the work that they've done as well. So the report is structured around sort of several key themes. Would you like to talk us through those? 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think at the the sort of at the sort of setting off of the report, we know we had three sort of areas that we wanted to look at. So the first was just looking at you know the current state of dementia research and and how the lay of the land is at the moment. We wanted the report, and this is its central recommendation, which I'm sure we'll come on to later, but it makes the case for the moonshot and the need for this extra funding. And then also as well is, is how that money could be spent. I think quite often people ask government for money, but they don't necessarily lay out how that money could best be used. So we wanted to make sure the report did that as well. And as you say, the report sort of covers um, a, a several sort of key themes. So uh, the first is the importance around prevention, early detection and diagnosis. Uh, one is around biomedical research and keeping the ball rolling on biomedical uh, research, particularly through uh, the UK Dementia Research Institute. And we also talk, speak about other leading research centres as well in there. Uh, something that was quite important and come through quite strongly in the written evidence was um, making sure that care services are more evidence-based. Um, what we found is that often care research isn't evidence-based and you wouldn't expect that when you go into the NHS. Um, so we're really making the case there that we need much more support in the, the care research sector. A big theme uh, in this report was the impact of COVID-19 on dementia research. And as you spoke with, uh, with Sarah, especially on early career researchers. Um, and also as well, finally, more opportunities for people affected by dementia to be involved in research, not just participating, but you know, shaping what research questions are asked and how the research is actually done. That's something that certainly come through with people affected by dementia that we spoke to as a part of the inquiry. Um, those that involve themselves in research now and the sense of empowerment they feel when they're able to even just play a small part in a piece of research. Okay, so let's dig a little bit deeper into some of these recommendations that Jordan's just been talking about. Um, Rich, what makes prevention and early detection and diagnosis so important? Yeah, I, mean, I think particularly uh, early detection, there's, there's a lot of myths around this. And I think it's, it's really important to say that getting an early and accurate diagnosis for dementia really does matter. Um, it matters now and it will matter even more in the future when we do have uh, disease multiple treatments available, the earlier we can give them, the better. But I mean, uh, right now it is really important to make sure that someone does get an accurate and early diagnosis just for the sense that they know um, what they have and they have some understanding of what journey they're going to be on, but also so we can get the support mechanisms in place to help you. And there are absolutely interventions and support mechanisms that are in place that you can only get access to once you once you get a diagnosis. So I think that is really, really important. Like I say, it's important now and it will be even more important in the future as these treatments come online. Um, and in terms of uh, prevention in the AS, uh, oh, the Alzheimer's Society funded a part-funded Lancet Commission report on uh, modifiable dementia risk factors. Um, and he's talking about things like air pollution, physical activity, social isolation, so things that um, modifiable risk factors, things that you can do something about. Um, and the report estimated actually about 40% of dementias can be prevented. And it is a complicated story because it's not only about individual control, things like air pollution none on things that anyone can necessarily make a, a difference about, but they are modifiable, we can change them. And so I think it's really important that we publicise these, we talk about these, that everyone has a better understanding that um, dementia isn't an inevitable part of ageing, that there are things that individuals can do to reduce their risk. Also, um, so that we all start talking about it more broadly and, and start trying to get a little bit of a a movement going so that governments and other organisations that also have a role to play understand and know what role they can play so that we can start to realise some of that um, 
40% of cases that we, we believe can be uh, prevented. So it's, a, it's a, a really important topic that if we get prevention right, if we get diagnosis right, that is going to make a massive difference to, to people affected by dementia now, and it will really set us up in the, in the future uh, for what is a, a growing problem. Um, and I think uh, some of the challenges that we have um, in this is a lack of awareness. So we talked about that and how we need to raise awareness of some of these facts and figures and, and detail to empower people and to give governments the, the information to make the right policies to support. There's also some problem in terms of diagnosis, um, some kind of more mechanical problems if you want to access the diagnostic methods. So PET scans are only available in a limited number, about 30 places in the UK in PET scans. PET scans are expensive. Um, they're used for research, used for diagnosis. There's a lot of uh, requirements on them, so they're not always available. And there are other diagnostic tools we have that aren't available to everyone in every location. Um, and that is definitely something that we know now that we need to improve on that. So that's something that we definitely need to look at. And there are, there are new tests on the line. Blood-based biomarkers will be hopefully rolled out in the coming years. But again, we need to make sure that everyone get, gets access to them, that the NHS integrates them into their current pathways. And that, that doesn't happen by chance. That happens by people um, really championing and supporting and, and uh, making sure these things happen quickly and timely and in the right way. So I think we, we need to be talking about that. And that's part of the reason why the APPG uh, report makes a number of recommendations. Firstly, talk about the moonshot and directing some of the, the funding towards early diagnosis, whether that be new technologies or system preparedness to make sure those technologies are rolled out in, in the right way. Um, the moonshot also talks about uh, that kind of uh, using technology to support uh, the people affected by dementia in terms of their care and helping them live independently. So we're talking about a longitude price here uh, for dementia to support using new technologies to enable people and their carers to live independently and, and increase their quality of life. And we also talk about that need for public information and how some money could be spent on uh, campaigns to ensure that people know about dementia, know about what they can do to limit their own risks of developing dementia. I just want to pick up there, you were talking about sort of new diagnostic tests. So a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to come from biomedical research and funding for biomedical research is one of the key themes of the report. So could you maybe give us some more context for what's going on with funding in that field? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, the um, dementia has been underfunded um, compared to other diseases historically, but there have been big improvements over the last decade. And I think largely um, something like the, the Prime Minister's challenge on dementia, um, which came through a number of years ago, has made a real difference. And we have seen more government funding, uh, more charity funding, more private funding going into dementia research, which is which is really welcome. And it's absolutely key to say that research is the answer to a number of the challenges we face. It will help develop new technologies to help people live better, to improve the care that people uh, receive when they are diagnosed with dementia. It will develop the treatments that people need going forward. So research is absolutely the answer and research requires money. So it's great to see over the last kind of decade or so increased investment. And really, uh, I guess the uh, the signpost that uh, investment was really increasing and uh, the UK has become a global power was in 2017, the creation of the UK Dementia Research Institute. So this is uh, a number of um, institutes, a number of universities around the UK um, 
which all now have a particular focus on tackling dementia from different angles, but all working together. And in total, there's now over 650 researchers working in the UK Dementia Research Institute, all trying to really focus on the understanding, the basic biology really of, of dementia, which underpins a lot of the advantages you mentioned by the medical research. Our basic understanding really underpins the advances and the changes and differences we can make. And the increased investment has led to this UK Dementia Research Institute, which is a world-leading institute, which is really driving uh, forward advances in dementia, which is absolutely fantastic. Of course, when I talk about uh, funding and the, the, um, the really good situation that we've, or the good journey we've been on for the last decade or so with an increased investment into dementia, I, I can't not mention the recent impact of, of COVID, unfortunately, on that, um, particularly on biomedical charities like Alzheimer's Society and others, which play a vital role in the dementia research landscape, we really do uh, fund some really uh, groundbreaking research, which others then take on to, to other levels. Um, and the Academy of Medical Research Charities recently estimated a £310 million shortfall in UK medical research investment, being, which is directly linked to the impact of, of the pandemic. And just the impact on the outside society last year we weren't actually able to have a single funding pool we normally run two a, uh, two a year we're going to have one this year rather than normal two and uh, other charities have been similarly affected so um when there has been chronic underfunding for a decade um charities have played a vital role and we have been hit hard and so that is definitely something that we need to be aware of and we don't lose the momentum that was really building up in dementia because dementia is a is a global issue which is only getting bigger and um, we don't want to lose the momentum in tackling it because we, we really were getting to a, an exciting place. And I think that is why in the APPG report we are calling for uh, increase or guaranteed funding really for the Dementia, UK Dementia Research Institute for the next 10 years to ensure that the UK stays at the forefront of dementia research. So, Sarah, I want to come back to you because you're a biomedical researcher who has faced these problems on the ground, as it were. So what, what's your experience been like? Uh, well, it, it has been a really tough time, uh, especially for ECRs um, like myself. And you know, th there are a lot of problems which have been either created or exacerbated by the pandemic. And I could talk for ages on that um, because most of uh, my evidence session was actually about that. So I'll try and condense to what I think are a couple of the really most pressing issues that are affecting the most people. Um, so I think the pandemic has been really catastrophic for ECRs in two major ways. The first one is, of course, with interruptions to research. So many of us uh, lab based or perhaps working face to face with people affected by dementia. And so because of lockdowns, we weren't able to to do um, that part of our jobs for a large portion of last year. So I myself wasn't able to get into the lab for around six months. Um, and so my research was completely halted in that time. Um, it's not just a time that you're not in the lab as well. It's also a period of time in the run up to that that might be wasted. If you'd been in the middle of a big study that required a lot of setup and then it couldn't be completed, you've wasted that time you've already spent in the run up to lockdown. And then again, when we return to the lab, um, people were having to repeat that work, you know, breeding mice or differentiating cells and growing things up. So um, it really did take a while to get back up to full capacity. Um, also, uh, most places, I think, had reduced lab capacity when we did return to work for social distancing reasons, which obviously everyone's happy to do. We want to be safe at work, but it did mean we weren't able to all just come back at 100% working full time. It took a while to build things back up. 
the upshot of all that is that many of us, including myself, are now concerned that we're behind both on progress towards dementia research and also individually in our own careers, it's really important that we're publishing lots of papers so that we can get grants in. And so I'm worried that my CV won't be as competitive as it would have been had I not had this big interruption to my research. And I need to apply for senior fellowships in the next year or so. So that's something that obviously is forefront of my mind. Um, and that brings me quite nicely to the second point, which is, Rich has already mentioned how code has been catastrophic for dementia research funding, um, particularly funding from the charity sector, which does make up a, a large chunk of the funding that we have access to. Um, and so because charities weren't able to offer any funding rounds last year and what they're able to offer this year is going to be, of course, reduced. Um, that means that something that was already incredibly competitive to apply for, um, that already wasn't enough pre-pandemic now is, is even thinner um, and so everybody that is currently working on a short-term contract as all ECRs are if their contract was due to end recently or is coming up to an end in the next few months they're probably going to be in a real pickle trying to find funding because there's less of it um, and this is a real problem because first of all it's, it's, it's very devastating for individuals who are very passionate about their work they've got years of experience and have worked very hard towards goal and have clear career ambitions so if you're unable to um, get fresh funding when your contract ends you usually would have to actually leave academia if there's nowhere else to go and find a completely different job uh, but it's also really damaging for the research itself because of course we're losing people who spent years and lots of money training up and they're very skilled and experienced and experts in their subfields um, and so we're losing a lot of talent in, in that sense, which I think is a huge problem. And this is a problem we have in academia anyway. We, we know that we, we struggle with this so-called leaky pipeline where we're training people up and then losing them after a few years because there isn't enough funding to keep them. Um, but I think that COVID has really exacerbated that problem. So one of the things that we actually talked about in um, my evidence session was that perhaps some of the money from the Dementia Moonshot could be used to provide grants specifically for ECRs to apply for. So maybe increasing the number of fellowships available, both junior and senior, but also providing some kind of emergency bridging funding for postdocs who haven't been able to secure the next part of funding because of COVID um, to try and retain that talent that we would otherwise lose um, because of the pandemic. But that's, of course, an emergency short term solution. And we do need to be really thinking about long term solutions to restructure the way that we're working in academic research, because I don't think it's very sustainable long term. It sounds like it's been, I mean, I know having been an early career researcher myself that it was difficult but I wasn't an early career researcher during the pandemic and it just sounds like it was a, a horribly difficult time the last year and a half and I'm, I'm really sorry about that that is rubbish um it's, I think it's it's one of the things where it's a very stressful career choice anyway um and the pandemic's made it worse for everyone but the reason that people put up with the stress and the financial uncertainty and all the difficulties is because we do love our jobs we're very passionate about what we do and that's the only reason that people will deal with that level of insecurity and so that's surely a reason that you want to retain these people um because Absolutely. people who care about what they do will give you good results <laughs> and make progress in research 
that sounds like it was really difficult. Um, I, I wanted to not obviously to minimize your experience, but I wanted to talk about something that's hopefully a bit more positive in your work, which is working with people who are affected by dementia. So you do lab work, but you still work with people who are affected by dementia because you're funded by Alzheimer's Society and everyone who was funded by Alzheimer's Society uh, works with our research network volunteers. And they're people who are affected by dementia who help decide what research we should fund and to monitor the projects as they're going along. So uh, how have they helped you in your work, uh, especially in the last year, but also in general? Yeah, that is one of the really nice things about working with Alzheimer's Society, actually. Um, it's been a really positive experience working with my, my network volunteers. So I have three volunteers who are assigned to my project at the start of the fellowship. They're all really lovely people and um, they all have personal experience of dementia with someone close in the family who they then cared for. So um, they're able to really put things in perspective for me as a lab-based researcher because I don't interact with people affected by dementia in my day-to-day -day work. It's something that normally I'd have to seek out. I do a lot of public engagement, so I'll meet people you know, at science fairs who will chat to me and say, oh, yeah, my mum had dementia and we'll have a bit of a chat. But this is a bit more substantial than that, and, and they're really alongside my, my research journey with me. Um, and, and you mentioned about positive things moving on from the negativity of the pandemic, actually. We had a meeting a few months ago that, that was exactly that because I was feeling quite negative after a really tough year and um, we had a catch up and they were just so nice and so positive and I told them everything that had been going on and um, some other difficult things that had happened as well. We had a fire that destroyed some of our reagents during lockdown and so on so that delayed it even more and they were just so uplifting. Um, they were very encouraging. They said well it actually sounds like you've made quite a lot of progress given all of the difficulties that you faced. And, um, you know, we talked about plans for the future and how things are all kind of back on track and, and we're full steam ahead now. And um, yeah, they're just, they're just very, very positive, uplifting people who remind me why I'm doing what I'm doing. That it's not just interesting from a scientific point of view of what's going on with neurons and cells um, and proteins, but actually why it's important at a human level. That's really good to hear. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I guess this, this is a sort of broader question that comes up in the report, uh, the role of people who are affected by dementia in research, and that there's a kind of lack of opportunities to be involved in research, whether that's sort of taking part in studies or in shaping the course of the, the studies as they have uh, the research network volunteers have been doing with you. Um, Rich or Sarah or both of you, would you like to explain more? Yeah, I'll start with that one. So I think um, as Sarah's talked about there, the Alzheimer's Society, people affected by dementia are involved in absolutely everything we do. They they help us select the research we fund. They support the researchers once we've done them. But I think one of the things that came up in this report, and it is definitely widely acknowledged in the field, is that um, we need to get people with dementia into clinical trials. We need to support that recruitment and support them once they're in. Um, for example, in, in 2019, 2020, so a couple of years ago now, but there was nearly six times as many people with cancer taking part in clinical trial, trials via the, the government, which was called the, the NIHR Clinical Research Network. So they're kind of a government-supported program to get people into clinical trials, taking part in research in order to find the next treatment, the next the next cure, or uh, 
better ways of caring for people. So six times more people took part in uh, trials looking at cancer than in dementia. And without people with dementia getting involved in clinical trials, that is definitely going to hold us back in terms of developing the next treatment, the next diagnosis, uh, looking at how we can provide better care is absolutely vital to that progress. Okay. So the Alzheimer's Society uh, part fund with government and other medical charities, the joint dementia research platform which is basically a, a platform which enables people who are diagnosed with dementia to get involved in clinical research in order to find the next cure, the next diagnostic tool, or in, improve the care that people with dementia have. But only 2% of people that receive a diagnosis with dementia um, are actually on joint dementia research at the moment. And that is not enough if we want to really push forward progress with research because clinical trials are absolutely vital to ensuring we are making progress and so it's really important that we talk about this and then we raise awareness of this uh, this challenge because it is definitely accepted in any conference you go to about dementia research it is absolutely universally accepted as one of the barriers we are currently facing and i think it's really about empowering people with dementia to know that they can make a difference if they want to um, and i think it's one of the things we talk about a lot at the outside society is nothing is done to but it's rather done with people affected by dementia and that is really the underlying principle of the outside society and our research network and that is why again in the abbg report one of the recommendations is making sure that people affected by dementia are routinely offered information um, and opportunities to take part in research if they would like to so rich we've we've talked about clinical and biomedical research but care research is also important especially for people who have dementia now and who might not be able to for example access clinical trials as things stand um, so one of the things that's come up in the report is a call for care to be more evidence-based uh, could you explain what's going on with that yeah absolutely so i mean care research is absolutely critical and um, at the moment outside society fund a substantial amount of research into this to ensure that people as you rightly say that are diagnosed with dementia now receive the best care that they possibly can and receive as good a quality of life as they possibly can which is 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 absolutely vital now and will continue to be vital in, in the future and it's something that hasn't always received as much attention i think people when they think about research they often think about the cure but actually care is absolutely vital and it's something that the outside society is really passionate about and I think one of the things that I think Jordan has already alluded to is that actually the, a number of studies have shown now that actually care-based services in the UK aren't always uh, evidence-based. And there's a number of very complicated reasons for that. But uh, obviously, if anyone is going into care, they want to know the care they're receiving and the people that are looking after them are doing so based on uh, best available data and evidence. And that, that just hasn't been the case. And um, Alzheimer's Society funded a number three, actually, center of excellences, which is kind of these multidisciplinary models where you bring together a number of researchers to tackle a specific question. And the three we have at the moment based at um, three universities, Newcastle, Exeter and University. College London, they're all really looking at different aspects of care. So one is looking at what good quality care is. There isn't really a gold standard that we can say this is what everyone should be aiming to. And, and that's one of the reasons why we have such variation. So we funded a, a five-year program there to try and develop that kind of protocol for what good care looks like. We've looked at um, doing research into what good post-diagnostic support should be. So again, once someone receives a diagnosis of dementia, at the moment, 
what happens next in terms of how they are signposted through a very complicated system, how they are treated and, and how people reach out to them, that is quite varied. And again, it's because there isn't a, a gold standard model. So we've invested in some research to try and pin down what good looks like in, post, in terms of post-diagnostic support. And finally, also the, the people that are providing the caring, whether that be in a care home setting or a, a family member, how do we make sure that they have uh, the support and the training that they need to know that they are providing the best quality care or the best support they can to, to the person um, with dementia. So again, we're one of our centers of excellence is, is looking into that, providing um, some training and some support and some kind of evidence space um, for, to helping people do that. And that, that is so important right now, but it will definitely continue to be something in the coming years that if we can increase and even really use some of the knowledge we have to make sure that people with dementia, people affected by dementia, receive the best quality care that we now know exists that really make a difference in people's quality of life and that is something that uh, the outside society is really passionate about about doing so i think that is absolutely something and the appg report um has a recommendation talking about our center of excellence model and getting uh, a range of different disciplines multidisciplinary research teams together to tackle some of these problems and like I say in our three center of excellence we've seen some really great results from them um, in the first kind of three four years and that's definitely something the APPG report recommends other funders copying that model to look into. So we're coming to the end of the podcast now uh, so Jordan would you be able to tell us what's next for the APPG report so how are we and the wider community going to use it to support the call for the moonshot and how can our listeners help? Yeah, sure. So I suppose now the, the hard work begins on the report, um, trying to get the government to, to view it. So I suppose there's two sort of main jobs that we've got. The first is just getting it out there as, and sharing it as wide as possible with all our networks. And you know, to all the listeners out there, we'd really appreciate it if you was able to, to share it as well with as many people you know that will be interested to read it I've put a lot of hard work into it and I'd love it if as many people as possible would be able to to read this report um, and the second is getting the government to listen so we'll be working with the APPG chairs and vice chairs to try and get this in front of government so if you do know your local MP or you have a cousin who just happens to be a minister uh, do please send them the report um, we'd really appreciate any way we can get this report in front of them and like I say, we'll be doing some sort of parliamentary activity in the coming months. We'll be holding a, a couple of debates in Parliament and working with MPs that we work with quite often, quite closely with, um, to try and to try and get this uh, out there. Um, you can see the report um, today when it's up on our uh, on our Twitter page. So it's just at APPG Dementia, uh, and if you just Google APPG on Dementia as well, that will take you to the Alzheimer's Society webpage uh, where the report will be hosted. And if you wish, all the previous oral evidence session videos are up there as well, so you can take a look at them. Fantastic. So that's it for our summary of the recent APPG on dementia research. So thank you to Sarah and Rich and Jordan for sharing their thoughts and thank you to you for listening. Um, we've covered quite a lot of ground today, but I hope that's given you a good insight into what an APPG is, how an inquiry works and how it might affect future research policy. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more, at 4pm UK time today, Alzheimer's Society is going to be hosting a webinar to launch the report and you can sign up to attend that on our website. Um, and 
one final thing to say uh, is that Alzheimer's Society has teamed up with Dementia Research for a series of webinars on the latest dementia research and practical advice for early career researchers as well. Uh, so you can find the sign up link for that on the Dementia Research website. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.